I was kind of amazed. I didn't know that, but but the room for interpretation is kind of large. So so you can have very different visualizations of um, a longhouse that would fit the data. It can be this or this or this, and and looks very different, but all are within what what uh, the archaeologists know. So. Uh, because the problem with Vikings, they 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 were really fond of wood. <laughs> <laughs> wood doesn't uh, kind of. Uh, you have other culture that has built more in stone. That's kind of. Uh, um, yeah, and when the wood doesn't survive, then you have to do a lot of interpretation <laughs> yes. to rebuild it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Welcome to Crossing North, a podcast where we learn from Nordic and Baltic artists, scholars, and community members to better understand our world, our communities, and ourselves. Coming to you from the Scandinavian Studies Department and Baltic Studies Program at the University of Washington in Seattle, I'm your host, Colin Joya Connors. Few symbols are more iconic of the Viking Age than that of the Viking ship. Our best preserved examples are that of the Gokstad ship and the Oseberg ship, which were excavated in 1880 and 1904, respectively. The two ships were found on the western side of the Oslo Fjord in Norway, where water-laden, clay-rich soils preserved nearly all of the ship's timbers. These two ships, along with the smaller tuna ship, became viewable to the public in 1926 when the Viking Ship Museum in Oslo opened its doors for the first time. Over the past century, only a handful of new Viking ships have been discovered in Denmark, Estonia, Germany, and Sweden, but none can match the preservation or the splendor of the Gokstad and Oseberg ships. It seemed as if Norway had no new Viking ships left to discover. That is, until 2018, when a ground-penetrating radar scan of a farmer's field east of Oslo revealed the outline of a ship in a burial mound. The name of that site is Yelestad, and the story of that ship, the site where it was buried, and the excavation that uncovered it is now accessible to the public through an online digital exhibit called The Yelestad Story. The online exhibit digitally reconstructs 1,500 years of human habitation at Yelestad, starting in the Bronze Age and ending in the Viking Age. The site is home to over a dozen monumental burial mounds, some of which, like the Viking ship burial, were built on top of earlier grave mounds, suggesting shifting dynasties over time as one powerful family displaced another and erased or replaced their predecessor's remains in the landscape. The online exhibit takes the visitor on a 3D tour of the site and tells the story of the mounds, the Viking ship, and the large longhouses that formed a stately complex. Visitors can view a digital reconstruction of the ship, see how it was buried, and digitally walk in and out of the longhouses. Dr. Joachim Carlson was the project leader for the Elistad story, and in the fall of 2022, he was a visiting scholar at the UW to pilot a research project on museum and school cooperation. I sat down with Joachim to discuss the challenges of making the digital exhibit 
and to learn about the possibilities of employing social media in science communication. Yes, my name is Joachim Carlsen. Uh, I'm from uh, Halden in Norway. I'm an associate professor at Østfold University College. The field I'm in is, is digital media and design. So I have a mixed background in computer science and media studies, and also as a, also as a documentary filmmaker. And I combine this kind of this experience in, in, in my teaching. Could you tell me about the Yellowstad project? Mm. Where did it begin? How did you get involved with it? I was really lucky, I guess. That's what I think now, because um, uh, they have this kind of rather small field outside of uh, Halton, kind of 10 kilometers from where I live and, and, uh, and work. Beside the field, you have one of the biggest, largest, biggest gray mounds in uh, Scandinavia. And that has been kind of investigated, ex excavated. They haven't, didn't find much, but they could just confirm that it's a gray mound. Yeah. Kind of, you see it was built up with stones and, and so forth. And on this field, they have, you have these metal detector um, hobbyists, very, very active. And they have been there multiple times and they have actually found a gold necklace. It, it was a basket kind of, and with a lid. Mm -hmm. And at one time they find a basket and another time they find a lid. Okay. Of, uh, that's kind of amazing because it's a small, small, tiny stuff that is in a, in, in a, even if the field is kind of small, it's still good job to, to, to find these small things. Uh, so they knew that here, we, we have something here, but they haven't had any money. To, to, to look at it. But when the farmer that kind of owned this field decided to he need some new uh, drainage, mm -hmm. the county had the opportunity to kind of do something more. So they kind of uh, got some money together to do a geopenetrating radar scan of the whole field. Um, they expected to find uh, longhouses they expected to find uh, gray mounds, uh, but they really didn't expect to find uh, a Viking ship in the same size as the ones you have in, in the Viking ship museum in Oslo. And that was kind of, it's over 100 years since last time. So this kind of just blew up. And this was kind of an international, this was news. You have had millions of, uh, on, uh, of hits when these news were, were posted. And, and the image, kind of have this, it's, it's kind of a ghost-like image of a Viking ship with a circle around it, kind of, because it was a burial, ship burial. Uh, that kind of just went viral, kind of all over the world. Um, and I, I know these archaeologists, kind of, that's also kind of just luck. <laughs> I knew them before and started talking to them. In that kind of being researching journalism and long-form journalism and digital storytelling and kind of online digital storytelling. Uh, and with that background, we kind of quickly came to, to kind of, we should really make something out of this quickly. And kind of the purpose was to tell the story. Mm -hmm. That's the most, that's first but also to kind of keep the momentum for further excavations and, and, and to kind of dig deeper. So to keep the momentum, so way to 
hopefully get funding for doing more research? Exactly. Because the county actually, they, they, um, they coughed up some money to do this. And then we had a project to make Yellista a story, to, to make an online exhibit. Um, but kind of uh, not right after this, the, auto, the kind of the state, the Norwegian state, found some money to, to do a small dig to verify. Is, do, is it just a ghost? Uh, <laughs> this image, is it real? Do yeah. we ha actually have a real Viking ship uh, beneath the, the soil? And that was kind of, that was fun because I could actually uh, visit as much as I wanted. And I visited several times and can follow this process where they, where they dug kind of a, a small test trench yeah. and can, could verify that they, they found some, some planks, but the main find was the keel. So that moment where they kind of, they had this um, probe that they can just stick into the ground and try to kind of find the right point and you can kind of hear it kind of dunk <laughs> dunk and everyone's kind of <gasps> so this uh, that moment that was that was uh, that was fantastic and from from there it it uh, was all about just finding the money and the Norwegian state found the money for for a real kind of full scale uh, excavation of of the ship so that was that was done uh, in in 2020. The geological probe that Joachim describes is essentially a large metal tube with a window on the side. Archaeologists often use these probes to get a quick look at the stratigraphic layers in the soil beneath their feet. Imagine pushing a clear straw through a layer cake and then extracting the straw to view the layers trapped inside. The cylindrical probe, which must be pushed or hammered into the soil, will cut through anything soft, but its progress is impeded by anything solid, such as, for example, the hull of a ship. When the archaeologists' probe went dunk, they knew that the ghost image was in fact a solid ship. That discovery told them where to dig, and that's how they discovered the ship's intact keel. Archaeologists began their full excavation of Yellowstad in 2020, and worked through the winter, and they completed the excavation in 2021. The site had to be sheltered with a tent and heated and humidified during the winter to preserve the wood, and defended from field mice that sought to dig new burrows in the exposed ship. As archaeologists gradually uncovered the ship, they discovered that its state of preservation was far worse than that of the Gokstad or the Osseberg ship. This was not entirely unexpected, as the geology of the eastern side of the Oslo Fjord is much sandier and drier than that of the western side where the Gokstad and Oseberg ships were found. The wooden planks of the hull had decayed from one inch in thickness to just one millimeter. The hull was more like a stain in the soil than a solid object, and little of it could be preserved. The ship's wood wasn't the only material found in a sorry state of preservation. The iron rivets that once held the planks of the hull together were so friable that they would disintegrate in your hands. The archaeologists first mapped their position so that they could be later digitally reconstructed, and then they extracted them intact with the soil around them using a tool like a cookie cutter that could remove a solid block of soil. A total of 1,400 rivets were transported in this fashion to the lab 
where archaeologists are still carefully excavating them one at a time, each rivet yielding precious clues to the ship's unique construction. The best preserved portion of the ship was the two-inch thick keel, which had only lost an estimated half-inch from decay and could be dated with dendrochronology. The youngest growth ring in the keel dated to 732 CE, but because the keel wasn't made from the outermost rings of the tree, the tree must have been felled some years after 732. Stylistic dating of jewelry found in and around the burial, beads made of glass, gold, and amber, points to a date circa 800 CE for the burial. Grave goods were few and far between. Disturbances in the soil layers indicated that the ship grave was plundered during the Viking Age. When exactly the plundering occurred is a more difficult question to answer. The Gokstad and Oseberg ships were plundered as well, and conveniently, those grave robbers left their wooden shovels behind, which could be dated with dendrochronology to the mid-10th century. Scholars suggest that these grave robberies were politically motivated because they roughly coincide with the conquest of the region by the Danish king Harald Bluetooth, and it is possible, even likely, that Yellastad was also robbed during the same period. While the excavation finished in 2021 and the slow post-excavation and meticulous analysis are ongoing, in 2019, Joachim found himself hard at work to quickly share the news of the discovery and what had already been learned from the radar scan and test trench excavations. I took the initiative and, and set up a project to create an online exhibit with some uh, collaborating partners. So we had archaeologists and we had a firm doing 3D modeling. And we had another research institute in, in Halden that works a lot with application of 3D mod models in industry. And we had people on, on graphic design and sound. Yeah, so I, I actually, I put together a team to produce this and was the project leader and uh, working a lot with, with the story itself. Why did you choose to do a, so your background is in, you mentioned doing documentary film. Why choose to do a, a digital online exhibit? Um, I said journalism earlier that I, that I researched uh, long form journalism and I see documentary film as kind of a, a type of long form journalism. So my research is, is about what is long form journalism in digital media. Uh, looking at um, something that, that has been called uh, transmedia. You think about a media product that kind of that is, is on multiple platforms and over time, and uh, where the focus is to kind of create a following, a community. As before, you, a documentary film, kind of you produce it, and it's kind of uh, 30 minutes or 50 minutes or one and a half hour, and you screen it on television and on cinema, and that's it, kind of that's how it has, has used to be. But a kind of a, a multi-platform, cross-platform transmedia uh, documentary that can be uh, so much more. So, so for me, it was very natural to, to think, how, how can we create an online experience? So it's kind of a bridge between uh, old thinking and new thinking, I would say. Then tell me about the, the goals for the digital exhibit. Mm. How do you tell a good story? Mm. 
Uh, I'm mostly interested in telling a good story, but that doesn't really help if no one, no one hears it. <laughs> of course, it's, it's nice in itself, kind of when you look at it and, oh, this is beautiful. But uh, it's only me that uh, um, you, you, you see my point. Now, um, to attract an audience online is extremely hard. You kind of depend on established channels of communication. Like the news outlets have that. They have a front page that a lot of people kind of visit every day anyway. But when you create something like that, this, you don't have that. So that's the first thing. How to get this invitation out? Come and see. Um, and uh, when you have done that, then, then it's all about how to kind of keep your visitors interested. And that's where kind of the storytelling come in, that you need a, a hook and you need uh, to, to keep it interesting. But what we chose to do uh, when it comes to the first uh, challenge, I tried to get a, a cooperation with NRK. That's kind of the Norwegian Broadcasting Corporation. Yeah. <laughs> so initially we, we got lots and lots of people coming to see the online exhibit. But when I look at the numbers, I also see that many of them just kind of that's how it often is online. People use very little time and then just move on. They just uh, understand what it is and leave. Yeah. What is, what is the headline? <laughs> Why read the whole article? <laughs> I know the story now. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh, ship. I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> move on. Um, so I think it's kind of one in... One in four, maybe. So of each four persons visiting the site, one of them have used more time and kind of, kind of dived in into the story. Yeah, digital spaces are so different from reading a book because you pick up a book, you go from the first page, second page, third page, mm -hmm. you just go through it in one order. With all the options that hyperlinks afford us, a person can go in any number of directions. Mm -hmm. So when designing your exhibit, how did you deal with that, with that difference? Were you trying to create a linear experience or trying to create one that could go in different directions? I, I think we did, we did something smart. We, we, uh, we made a ship viewer, just a model of the ship with some information points that you can click on and get more information about the keel, the grave chamber, did this uh, ship has a sail or not? And, and, uh, so that can be embedded in other uh, web pages. So that was what the, the Anarcho did. They just embedded the, the, the ship viewer, as we call it, on their page. So people could access this, access this directly from there. So that's, that's kind of, and a lot of viewers has kind of come into Yellowstone story that way and got kind of the main, main headlines. Yeah. They're very kind of, very easily accessible and, and uh, direct. No, I love that because you're turning the game on its head instead of how do I keep everyone here knowing that only 25% are going to stay and look at everything. How can I get my story out to other people where they are? So how can I make smaller media products that other people can share and I can let them do the work of publishing and sharing and bringing attention to it? Exactly. That worked. Yeah, that's very smart. <laughs> <laughs> but kind of... Still, the users that we have 
cared the most about is, is the ones that actually come to Yelista story and, and kind of go through the guided tour as we have designed it. Because this is not a story about the Viking ship only, it's about the site. It's a story about Yelista over 1500 years, not only the, the ship burial. It's, it's, a, it's a long time span. For instance, the, the, the guided tour starts with this overview of the site and, and the when and where kind of context. Yeah. Context is in, in important. But I must say after a kind of very intense and flashy uh, teaser intro <laughs> intro film <laughs> with tall waves and Viking ships and uh, kind of uh, a hook to, to get people uh, kind of going. But to address what you what you kind of bring up, um, people are impatient, and so we also made it possible to just open a map and kind of skip ahead, kind of to to choose. No, I just want to go directly to 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 the ship and learn more about that. How did you how did you fill in the gaps? Because making an exhibit is also an act of interpretation. The archaeologists are doing their interpretations. We're were, were there challenges trying to figure out what do we show? How do we fill in the gaps? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was kind of, I enjoyed that part of the, the project, really, because uh, we had some 3D modelers, kind of young people, and, and they have a background in, in, in gaming. And they have their understanding of what should a Viking game <laughs> environment looked like and they brought that into the into the, into this uh, when kind of the landscape was in place and kind of the main the, the longhouses and the mounds and i think they thought this looked kind of oh this this is too little or, or too bare or kind of not very interesting so they Just kind of started they started adding adding stuff so I added stones and, and, and some plants and some trees and some food and some yeah some fish and the kind of stuff to kind of make this kind of more rich. Um, and and then the archaeologists kind of um, no 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 <laughs> no and no. <laughs> So that was kind of a crisis. It was a crisis, of course, in in the project. So, because they they, they had put in some fishes from from uh, like South America. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, not, uh, and they had put in plants that that kind of the archaeologists immediately is, we didn't have these here then. Um, kind of this was not early in the project, but we still had time. So then we, we arranged so that the, the 3D modelers and, and the archaeologists can, could work together more, sit together. Mm. And kind of, then the archaeologists could look at this. This, this is okay. This looks, you could put, you could put that there. That, that, that's, that's within. Um, but of course, when it came to the longhouses and the, the ship itself, I was kind of amazed. I didn't know that, but, but the room for interpretation is kind of large so so you can have very different visualizations of uh, a long house that would fit the data it can be this or this or this and and looks very different 
but all are within what what uh, the archaeologists know. So, uh, because the problem with Vikings, they they uh, they were really fond of wood. <laughs> 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 wood doesn't uh, kind of uh, you have all the culture that has built more in stone <laughs> that's kind of uh, um, yeah and when the wood doesn't survive then you have you know? to do a lot of interpretation <laughs> yes. to rebuild it yeah. yeah exactly one of the big questions of interpretation is whether the Yellowstad ship had a sail or not the adoption of the sail in Scandinavia is one of the features that makes a Viking ship a Viking ship and marks the start of the Viking Age. Although Scandinavians could and did cross long distances in rowboats, the adoption of the sail in Scandinavia is what made long-distance travel more accessible in the Viking Age. When Joachim made the Yellowstad story, the evidence for a sail could have gone either way, and Joachim chose to depict the ship with a sail. But now, after the full excavation, the evidence appears to be pointing in the other way. Archaeologists on the project, however, are hesitant to draw any conclusions until the post-excavation analysis is complete. When studying a ship, one typically starts by examining the keel in cross-section. A narrower keel suggests a rowing ship, and a wider keel suggests a sailing ship. The Yellowstad ship's keel is narrower than that of both the Gokstad and Oseberg ships, which suggests that the Yellowstad ship was more likely to have been a rowing ship. The next portions of the ship to examine are the keelson and the mastfish, large wooden pieces that fix the mast in place. These are not needed in rowing ships since they have no mast. Neither a keelson nor a mastfish was recovered from the Yellowstad ship, again suggesting a rowing ship. But the archaeologists are slow to jump to conclusions. The keelson and the mastfish may have been removed by those who buried the ship to be reused in a new construction. We know that Viking Age peoples in Scandinavia recycled ship parts. Or, the keelson and mastfish might have been destroyed, albeit on accident, in the late 19th century when the farmer at Yellowstad leveled the field in order to start using a mechanical plow. This action sheared the tops off of all of the burial mounds in Yellowstad field except the largest mound, which was left alone. Consequently, the ship's gunnels and prows were sheared clean off, and reports from the time mention finding broken pieces of wood in the newly plowed earth. It's actually, that's a tragedy. I've thought about that many times. It's kind of, it makes me cry. <laughs> For now, archaeologists are unwilling to give a definitive answer, and they are waiting until they have analyzed all of the data from the ship's 1,400 rivets, which may yet yield more answers. Joachim, you said that one idea of transmedia is that you can create community across different platforms. Is that something you were able to do in this project? The people at Anako that I had collaborated with, they wanted to make something. So they come up with this idea to stream the dig. Wow. They put up cameras in the tent and just put it on. That's fantastic. I, I don't know if our listeners will necessarily be familiar with slow television that <laughs> Norway has done so well and sort of given a name to of just putting a camera onto the train and just going for a ride along the train. So that's really that's really wonderful that you're able to do some slow 
archaeology television. The good thing about this is that is that they connected the stream with a chat kind of manned by, by competent people to, to create the opportunity for the audience to come in and ask questions and to participate in, I would say, actually a, a co-interpretation of what was going on in, wow, this, in, the, okay. in the stream. So these, these two things together, I think that that worked uh, really well. So this is a step up from slow TV because it's a live stream. So it's it's like uh, anyone who's live streaming their video games, they have a community that is there participating and commenting in and there's an interaction going on. Yeah, I think it's something else. Um, and they developed this during uh, COVID, Corona lockdowns, mm -hmm. for lonely people to, to kind of building community in, in, a, in, a, in a time of crisis. Um, and then it was kind of, they made a choice of, oh, okay, the, the same uh, challenge, how do we get, attract people? And how do we keep people here? Uh, so they had this idea of, of trying to use how Vikings are portrayed in popular culture as a hook. And I actually got Christopher Hivieu, he's the Tormund Giants Bane. Oh, yes. <laughs> in in uh, star from Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. And then also in The Last King. Mm -hmm. Yes, and has played the role of a Viking in a, in a few different films. And Celia Toj, she's in the, the Norwegian, it's more a comedy series, Norsemen. Oh, yes. So, so these two came in and participated, did some digging themselves and, and kind of... But then, <laughs> of course, Christopher Hivio, he, he came as Tormund uh, Giant's Bane. So he made a really show out of it. And uh, the archaeologist was, was really stressed out because he started to kind of dig hard and quick because he wanted to find a sword. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was kind of an incident that was kind of uh, very interesting. But then Anarko used this. He also tipped over uh, um, a sieve, yeah. And Anarko kind of made uh, made uh, this into something that they uh, used in social media to attract more people. I didn't really, I didn't think the archaeologists liked that, and I understand why, because uh, it's a serious thing, right? It's science. Archaeology is a science, and this ship is is very very fragile. And it costs kind of lots of money yeah. to do the dig. So um, it's serious. But uh, it was also fun. <laughs> For now, the only way to experience the Yellowstone ship is digitally. But soon it will be possible to experience it in person. The remains of the Yellowstone ship will find their new home in the Viking Ship Museum in Oslo where it will join the Gokstad, Oseberg, and Tuna ships. But don't expect to see the Yellowstone ship for a few years, though. Construction just began in February 2023 for a new museum facility designed to accommodate larger crowds and to control for warmer outside temperatures. The new museum will reopen as the Museum of the Viking Age, and it is projected to open on the centennial of the old Viking Ship Museum in 2026. The Yellowstone ship has lived many lives. First, as the individual trees that grew tall in late Iron Age Norway, then 
as a seafaring vessel in the early Viking Age, next as a final resting place for an illustrious person or persons, then as a site of desecration and plunder, and in the 19th century as just a memory in a field of potatoes, and now as a digital testament to the long and storied history of Yellowstad Farm. Joachim's exhibit peels back the layers of the Yellowstad ship's history to make visible what would otherwise go unseen. Take a look for yourself. It's there for all to see at yellowstadstory.no. Would you or someone you know like to take a class at the UW to learn more about the Vikings or Scandinavia? UW Summer Study is open to any U.S. high school student, college student, or member of the public. In 2023, we're offering four courses. In Scan 230, Intro to Folklore Studies, you can study folktales, legends, jokes, songs, proverbs, and other forms of traditional culture together with the living people and communities who perform and adapt them. In Scan 270, Sagas of the Vikings, you can study Icelandic sagas and poetry about the Vikings in the context of 13th century Scandinavian society. In Scanned 330, Scandinavian mythology, you can study the pre-Christian Norse religions of Scandinavia, and in Scanned 375, Vikings in pop culture, you can study media representations of the Vikings in 19th and 20th century advertising, comics, film, literature, music, poetry, propaganda, television series, and video games. Registration opens in April. Go to scandinavian.washington.edu. Crossing North is a production of the Scandinavian Studies Department and Baltic Studies Program at the University of Washington in Seattle. Today's episode was written, edited, and produced by me, Colin Joya Connors. Today's music was used with permission by Christian Ranar Paulsen. Links to his music can be found in the show notes for this episode or on our website. Visit scandinavian.washington.edu to learn more about the podcast and other exciting projects hosted by the Scandinavian Studies Department. If you are a current or prospective student, consider taking a course or declaring a major. You can find complete course listings for the Scandinavian Studies Department and Baltic Studies Program at scandinavian.washington.edu. Once again, that's scandinavian.washington.edu.